to the 8 o'clock hour on this Monday, April 26th. I'm Todd Moe. Monica, Monica Sandresky will be back tomorrow. The weather service says mix of sun and clouds. Sunshine in Watertown, Plattsburgh, Glens Falls, Saratoga Springs, partly sunny elsewhere. Highs in the low 50s. Right now in Canton, 30 degrees. And here's news from North Country Public Radio. Spring means tourism season is coming alive across the North Country. And with the pandemic still dragging on, that means lots of visitors renting on Airbnb and other short-term rental services. County governments have tried to force those companies to collect their bed taxes. Warren County subpoenaed them last fall with limited success to help collect its 4% occupancy tax. That tax collected some $4 million last year. All of that money is used for tourism and marketing efforts, but many short-term rentals aren't paying. Now, Warren County is reaching out directly to owners that list their properties on those websites, reminding them it's the law to register with the county and pay the bed tax. Rachel Sieber is chairwoman for the Warren County Board of Supervisors. She told David Summerstein short-term rentals have become increasingly popular in the southern Adirondacks. You know, you can go on to Expedia or Airbnb or Verbo or any of those short-term places and see, yeah, I think even Glamping has one now, all different types of websites where you can, uh, you know, put in Warren County or Queensbury, Lake George, whatever town. And what has this meant for the county? Uh, well, you know, from a tourism perspective, I think what it means for our county is a lot of people really enjoy coming to the Adirondacks. From the perspective of what's happening with occupancy tax, you know, years ago, our community, it was a very heated discussion on whether or not occupancy tax was going to be something that we had in Warren County. There are, I believe, still some counties that may not have an occupancy tax, and certainly ours is Um, lower than some other counties. So our hoteliers work so hard uh, to not only, and and our lodging uh, properties work so hard to provide safe and responsible and, uh, you know, fabulous places for people to come and enjoy, but they collect an occupancy tax, much like a business owner will collect sales tax. And uh, then that tax is provided to the county and then the county distributes that. Um, The idea, though, is that we're generating this tax so we can reinvest it into our community and have a impactful outcome of having more people find out about Warren County and want to come here and stay here. So ultimately, the more people that come here, spend the night, that are paying that tax, that we're reinvesting that hard-earned money back into our tourism economy. So is what you're doing in getting the word out for people to register so that they can pay this occupancy tax, this bed tax, is this something new or is this just trying to shake the trees and get the so word So last year, our county treasurer's office notified all those property owners whose properties for short-term rentals that they were required um, to register with the county treasurer the same way that any hotel or motel property would. And that can be a really big number. Uh, and that's really the point too, is if the goal is to capture Um, all of these properties. So I wouldn't say it's new, but I would say it's a renewed effort to try to um, both educate, advise, and collaborate with our community and our partners 
um, we appreciate their efforts in in bringing that tourism and our wonderful Adirondacks and our community uh, to front and center to so many minds and, and families coming here. Uh, but we do want to remind them that there is a legal requirement to be paying that occupancy tax. Rachel Sieber is the chairwoman of the Warren County Board of Supervisors. She spoke with David Summerstein. hard enough to lose a loved one at any time, but especially hard during this pandemic. Families haven't been able to gather, hold funerals, and grieve together. And funerals are always expensive. Now, some families whose loved ones have died due to COVID-19 might be able to get help from the federal government. Celia Clark reports. It's seldom used, but funeral assistance is part of what FEMA is authorized to provide when there's a mass fatality disaster like the pandemic. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, helps reimburse up to $9,000 of the cost of a funeral. Peter Gidaitis heads up Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster in New York. It's a coalition of volunteer community groups across the state that help when disaster hits. He says the funds for COVID-19 victims weren't made available until after President Biden took office. And it allows U.S. citizens and green card holders to apply for funeral assistance on behalf of uh, a member of their family who died from COVID-19. But Gidaitis wants to warn people that scammers are out there. They're targeting families who have lost someone because of COVID-19. People should be very careful. The federal government does not cold call the families of deceased individuals to try to get them to enroll. Gidaitis says there's an easy application process that people can go through online or on the phone. And the government does require some documentation, like a death certificate and receipts. The application period is open until September. Celia Clark, North Country Public Radio. You're listening to the 8 o'clock hour here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. It's 8.13. Monica Sandresky has the day off. She'll be back tomorrow. Stay tuned. The Veterans Administration has vaccinated millions of people. Congress is asking it to include, to inoculate many more. We'll get more on that story Part of our American Homefront project coming up in just a moment. The 8 o'clock hour is supported by the ARC Jefferson St. Lawrence, supporting individuals with disabilities to achieve their goals for more fulfilled lives. The ARC JSLC.org. The ARC Jefferson St. Lawrence, achieve with us. And the Ossable River Association, building solutions for flood resilience in Adirondack communities. Learn more at osableriver.org. This is music by Ben Sharon of Watertown. Love featuring regional musicians 
here on North Country Public Radio, and especially during the 8 o'clock hour. And, you know, it's your financial support that allows us to do these kinds of special projects. This is the last week of our spring fundraiser. It wraps up on Friday. So we need to hear from you right now. It's your financial support that means that we can keep bringing you the 8 o'clock hour, vital news and information, regional news that you depend on, music programs, profiles of regional musicians and artists. NCPR is here for you. Please be here for us by making a contribution right now at ncpr.org slash give or with a phone call at 877-388-6277. 877-388-6277 or online ncpr.org slash give. Only here. And thank you so much. When it comes to getting its patients vaccinated, the Department of Veterans Affairs is ahead of its counterparts responsible for inoculating the general population. But as Jay Price reports for the American Homefront Project, Congress has now given the VA a bigger vaccination challenge. A new law called the Save Lives Act says the VA can now vaccinate all veterans and their spouses and caregivers, not just those enrolled in its health care system. This is a huge jump, even for a system as large as the VA's. We've been targeting our efforts to date at the roughly 6.4 million vets who rely on us for all of their care. That's VA Secretary Dennis McDonough at a recent House Veterans Affairs hearing. As you step up, the additional categories that you all have now enacted, you get up to around 24 million. It's kind of a 4X growth. Four times more veterans, plus potentially millions of spouses and caregivers. And the additions are different in significant ways from those the VA is vaccinating now. One of its most successful local medical systems at getting vets vaccinated is the one anchored by the VA Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. It's moved so quickly that it was able to open appointments to enrolled vets of all ages, regardless of their health status, weeks ahead of the state's general population. One key reason for that success, though, won't apply to the new pool Congress just added to the VA's list. Uh, received a text message and also received an email from the VA. 32-year-old Army vet Dante Hester had received not just a text, but an email too, alerting him that he could make an appointment for the vaccine. So there he was, in a quick-moving line at a makeshift clinic inside a repurposed dining area at the medical center. Dr. Christopher Hostler is the chief of public health and epidemiology at the Durham VA. We already have a dedicated network with all these patients. We know who our patients are, and so we're able to schedule directly through text message. But the VA doesn't know all the unenrolled vets, so there will have to be different forms of outreach. Again, VA Secretary Dennis McDonough speaking to members of Congress. We're going to use every channel we have. Uh, We're going to use U.S. mail. We're going to use standard email. We're going to use our social media platforms. Uh, This new tool that our technologists here in the building have come up with called Vet Text has worked 
exceedingly well. Vet Text is an automated texting system the VA has found effective for things like scheduling appointments. The VA has already opened vaccinations to all veterans in a few pilot programs around the country. From those, it's beginning to gather information on how best to register those not enrolled in the VA system and figuring out what outreach methods work. It's also monitoring how to manage its vaccine allocation for the additional vets. Getting enough vaccine to expand the eligibility pool is a crucial issue, said Dr. Jane Kim, who leads the VA's national COVID-19 vaccination project team. We do want to make sure that whatever vaccine supply we have does get offered to our veterans receiving care with us first. And as we have increased supply to offer it to the expanded populations that are in the Save Lives Act. The VA gets its supply of vaccine directly from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. A spokesman for that agency said it will increase the allocation of vaccine to the VA, but is still working out the details of how much and when. Dr. Kim says the VA wants to manage expectations until there's more supply and it's sure it's ready in other ways. We heard loud and clear from our veterans prior to having any COVID vaccination, make sure you don't overpromise, and we've held that in our minds is um, let's make sure we have what we need to serve you and that's gone pretty well so far. The VA doesn't know how many to expect, just that not all the newly eligible veterans are going to seek appointments. Many will have already gotten vaccinated elsewhere or plan to. For now, it's asking vets, caregivers, and spouses to register on its COVID-19 vaccine webpage so it can reach them. I'm Jay Price in Durham, North Carolina. The story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It's 8.20. You're listening to the 8 o'clock hour here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Monica is back tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. Roasting coffee coming up in just a moment. And Bird Note, thanks so much for your support during our spring fundraiser. 877-388-6277 or online at ncpr.org slash give. Thank you. So some people paint, some sculpt, some sing, but Tim Gardner's post-retirement passion has been roasting coffee. The idea of making his own coffee brewed for years and started in his garage. Gardner owns Jernabi Coffee House in Potsdam and St. Lawrence Valley Roasters, tucked away in the hamlet of West Potsdam. After a career of helping the disabled, he turned to the science and art of turning raw beans into a good cup of joe. Tim Gardner has been roasting coffee as an avocation for over 15 years, and about a dozen years ago, it became his vocation. He retired early and went to work for himself, making coffee first at home, and then he started St. Lawrence Valley Roasters and even bought a coffee house in Potsdam. Gardner says making a great cup of coffee is not a magical experience or a stroke of luck. It's art. With the proper information, anyone can brew a consistently great cup. It starts at the roaster. By the way, listeners, this is also where NTPR's signature coffee, Momentum Coffee, is created. I stopped by to find out 
what the daily grind is like for a coffee roaster. But first, some music to set the mood. Just on the edge of the tiny hamlet of West Potsdam sits a large warehouse. And as I approach, I'm not really sure which door to enter to find St. Lawrence Valley Roasters. There's nothing visual. Then, once out of my car, a jolt to the old factory nerve. Coffee this way. Soon I'm in the roasting room, and that's the sound of fresh, hot roasted coffee beans spilling into a cooling tray in front of the roaster. The smell is heaven. And, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss for words. It's a great smell. If you love coffee, I mean, you've got people who are probably, you know, yeah. uh, this, is, this is their dream is to... Uh... Tim Gardner and his assistant, Corey Rusgrove, have just finished a batch of medium dark roast coffee. Corey preps labels for the individual bags, while Tim watches over the cooling beans. For Corey, roasting coffee and inking skin are his passions. He's also a tattoo artist. Are you a coffee drinker? Yes, definitely. That's what got me into it. Um, yeah, I'm actually a tattooer. That This is my day off. Um, it's enjoyable. Working with Tim is enjoyable. It's something I like. Uh, dark roast, medium roast? What, what, are you, what coffee? I like light roast, single origins. I like the naturals mostly. Mostly single origins. That's really where... You can really distinguish the flavors, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a great hobby that I get paid for, you know? It's enjoyable. This is my day off. Uh, I get a couple days a week to come out here and roast coffee, and it's uh, very, very easy going. We get to talk about coffees, and it's just a, an enjoyable hobby more than uh, a job. And... It's kind of loud in the roasting room, so Tim leads me into a backspace where burlap bags of coffee beans stored. Coffee from across the world, Ethiopia, Indonesia, Sumatra, Guatemala, Rwanda, Colombia, Ethiopia, Timor. Um, What's in the back there? That is Sulawesi, which is another Indonesian. Now, I thought roasted coffee smelled amazing until Tim and Corey open a bag of green, naturally processed coffee beans right off the truck. But the aroma of the green beans that most people don't ever get to experience. Oh, wow. And that comes through on a good single origin naturally yeah. processed coffee. Yeah. Natural processed oh. coffee means the coffee beans are actually the seed and a fruit from the coffee tree. And the natural process, they allow the fruit to dry on the beans and then they remove it. Um, and that gives the coffee a lot more fruity flavor. It gives it more body. These beans will be roasted till they crackle and used in about a dozen different coffee blends, including Momentum Coffee. So, let's see. uh, How many different 
roasts do you have? I, I've stopped at Chernobyl and you've got shelves full of bags well, of coffee. And so I do all of these as single roast. Yeah. And actually, I'm a little, I'm having trouble right now because of COVID and the after effects of COVID and the importers, the way they bought during COVID, they weren't buying as much. Right now, I'm really scrounging to keep some of the coffees I need. In fact, I'm having to do some substituting and uh, it's worked out so far, but Within another month or so, they should be starting to get them all back in. Plus, that Suez Canal thing slowed shipments down because they, you know, everything comes into the harbors by boat, by ship, and uh, so stuff is all backed up because of that too. But I, I'm, I don't know. I probably have well, I have like ten or twelve single origins, and then I have I use those to make different blends too. So, and I've got four dark roast blends, and I've got probably five or six like medium roast blends and i always thought a good cup of coffee was more like like just a luck thing and then i started reading an article one night about um home coffee roasting and what how it was becoming popular and it talked about how how to get started in it and where to get the beans and stuff and there are several or many places that sell coffee beans aimed at home roasters and they have really good quality stuff. And I learned that and I started and I was like, I was driving people crazy at work. I'd take my coffee to work and I'd fix it and give it to everybody. Well, this one sucks. That one's good. I like that one. And, uh, you know, and finally when uh, I was getting ready to retire, I said to my wife at the time, I said, you know, we had a gr- big garage and a space in the back that was yeah. just a junk area. I said, I want to start roasting coffee. Can I use the, do you mind if I use the back of the garage? She said, go ahead. You'll have to clean it up. And I did the research I needed to do, find out what I needed to do. Went to the bank to try to borrow money to get going. And they, well, we don't do startups. So I borrowed as much as I could on a non-secured loan. And then they sent me to the IDA, because County IDA, they have that local development corporation. And they were thrilled. They gave me the maximum loan they could give for that. And with that and a little bit of my own money, I was able to get going. And freshness is huge in coffee. So many people don't realize that they're used to buying their coffee off the shelf in the grocery store. And you don't know how long that's been there. And if you even, of course, I've become a snob now. But coffee, I mean, I, I take the leftovers from here home. And Corey does. And we, you know, that's what I drink. And I get really upset if I've got... All of a sudden, I go to make a cup of coffee, and I don't—if I don't have any coffee that's less than a few days old, or more than a few days—and so it's—and uh, you can tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Maybe most people probably can't tell the difference for a couple of weeks, but if you put them side by side, there is an obvious difference. And at Janabi, most of that stuff isn't on the shelf more than a week. Yeah. You go through it so fast. Black or white? Do you put do you put milk or cream no, in your coffee? Like, I'm black coffee. Yeah. And with good coffee, you don't get the bitterness. It's most of them have a natural sweetness. Of course, not like sugar will give you, but it's just there's so much in there to look for and to to taste. So I love Java, sweet and hot. Whoops, Mr. Moto, I'm a coffee pie. Shoot me the pot, not for me a shot. A gum, a gum. A cup, yeah. Oh, throw me that slug from the wonderful mud. 
I'll get a rug till I'm snug in the jug. Drop a nickel in the pot, Joe. I take them a slow. Wait a wait a percolator. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. Yeah. It's 8.30 and you're listening to the 8 o'clock hour here on North Country Public Radio. And my thanks to Tim Gardner and his assistant, Corey, for letting me get a sneak peek at how they roast coffee in West Potsdam. And that includes Momentum Coffee, only available during our fundraisers here at North Country Public Radio. Hey, Amy Fyreisel, you're a coffee drinker. Hey, Todd Mo. <laughs> um, I, I am. And um, for all our listeners out there who are as well, um, if you sort of call in or go to ncpr.org slash give, um, for just $10 a month, we'll send you an NCPR mug with half a pound of ground or whole bean coffee from Momentum Coffee ncpr.org slash give, or you can call us at 877-388-6277. Amy has been uh, keeping track of our North Country at Work projects. She's been working on a series of stories about child care during the pandemic and even child care in general here in the North Country. Some great work. Amy, thank you so much. And listeners, you need to support this kind of programming, this kind of vital news, ncpr.org slash give. And we're off to bird note in about 40 seconds, Amy, but uh, now is the time to give us the last week of our now spring is fundraiser. The time to give. This, is, this is our second week on Friday is the end of this fundraiser. Um, and like Todd said, it's donations from listeners and supporters of North Country Public Radio that keep us here on the air and online and bringing you all the things that you love, like the news that Todd was talking about, like the music shows you hear during the week. Um, just Shelly voice telling you about the weather. Uh, so make a gift right now at ncpr.org slash give or give us a call. There are people here. Um, 877-388-6277. Thanks. This is Bird Note. The Drake Wood Duck is perhaps the most beautiful of all North American ducks. His Latin name means dressed in finery, ready for his wedding. Yet, the wood duck once seemed threatened with extinction. In the 1800s, they were possibly the most abundant ducks east of the Mississippi. But the draining of wetlands, the cutting of forests, and market hunting caused precipitous declines. In 1918, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act completely banned the hunting of wood ducks for 23 years. This protection and the concern of dedicated individuals brought the wood duck back. Frank Belrose was preeminent among those advocates. He became fascinated by the birds while canoeing the Illinois River as a young man in the 1930s. Belrose went on to study them for more than 50 years. His intimate knowledge of their ecology helped him invent a predator-proof nesting box that is now a mainstay of wood duck conservation. We take care of what we value, what we devote ourselves to knowing. 
and one person's dedication can make a crucial difference, as it did with Frank Belrose and the wood ducks he loved. Support for Bird Note comes from the Cornell Lab's Bird Academy, with online courses that share the wonder and joy of birds. More at allaboutbirds.org. It's 8.34. Thank you for listening to the 8 o'clock hour. There's more of Morning Edition coming up right now. Make a gift of support at 877-388-6277. Thanks.